Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Live. First things first, we would like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Um, again, this is Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we introduce tonight's guest, I'm going to turn it over to Tamara, who's going to tell you how you can get a free ebook copy of our latest book, Darling Girls. Yeah, if you're listening to this any time before May 31st, 2018, you're eligible to win a free ebook copy of our new novel, Darling Girls. All you have to do is sign up for our newsletter by going to our website at alistaircross.com or tamrathorn.com. And after you sign up, ask two of your friends to do the same. If you're already signed up for the newsletter, you're still eligible. All you have to do is get two of your friends to sign up as well, then email our publicist at contact at bamliterature.com. That's contact at B as in boy, A as in Abel, M as in mammaries, literature.com with the email address. <laughs> told you you giggles. Uh, email addresses of your friends. If they sign up, <laughs> We were writing something about that. Um, <laughs> if they sign up, you have your choice. Of it. Okay, we're all going to laugh now. Of an e-cover Moby copy of Darling Girls, and there are many memories in it too. Um, no email addresses will be shared. The only other thing you'll ever receive is the monthly newsletter. This offers valid for EPUB and Moby copies, and the giveaway ends May 31st, 2018. Giant all right, all, all memories right. aside. <laughs> That's right. Tonight we have, we're very excited, we have a very special guest, somebody that uh, we're very excited to have on. Uh, Vivian Schilling is the author of the acclaimed novels Quietus and Sacred Prey, as well as a screenwriter, producer, and director of independent films. Uh, So there's going to be a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, She recently completed work as a co-writer and producer on the French documentary Bonobos, Back to the Wild, and is currently at work on her third novel, which we're excited to hear about if we can. But tonight we're going to be talking about Quietus. This is is available now. This is an – it's – first of all, I want to say it's got a wonderful cover – I love the cover. Oh, yeah. And it's it's a must-read. It's an absolute must-read. But anyway, uh, without further ado, welcome to the show, Vivian, and thank you for being yeah. on. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Good. So You are this, welcome. One one thing about Quietus, it doesn't really fit into a, any genre, a single genre, and I think that's fascinating. It's, you You have big publishers here, and they usually won't let you do that. How did you get this published when... Away with it. It's not... Yeah, yeah, what he said. <laughs> How did I get away with it? You know, yeah. it, it, I will admit, it has been very... Uh, it's perplexed my publishers, especially Penguin, originally, they thought um, literary suspense, and that's kind of the category where it seems to do the best, uh, they found out when they did the um, the uh, the mass market, and they tried to 
uh, gear it more towards horror because there are definitely some um, dark horror moments in it. Um, and they thought, okay, they found out that it didn't do as well. It did much better in um, in just sort of this uh, special category. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's just it's a very, it's not a, uh, it's a psychological thriller. And mm-hmm. the horror elements of it actually come out um, just within this character's, a lot of it is through her mind. Um, uh-huh. And there's definitely some situations where it's pretty dark, but it's overall, it's more, um, it's more of sort of an existential sort of uh, psychological um, journey that this young woman has. And it focuses more on that. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think along the lines of a thriller, but then also suspense and, so it's a, a mashup. <laughs> yeah. Alex and I have always fantastic. considered this. Really, there we go again. This yeah. is what we warned you about. We don't hear each other. Uh, we've always considered yeah. horror to be within other genres, you know, maybe except for vampires and zombies. But uh, So this is really interesting that yeah. you've managed to get that through with, you know, the big five. Excellent. Well, thank right. you. Right. Yeah. It's a... Uh, yeah, it just, it definitely has got a lot of, uh, it definitely has a supernatural aspect to it as well. So, mm. yeah, it's just, um, and my first one was kind of the same thing. They weren't, you know, sometimes it was categorized, like I would go to Barnes & Noble and I would find it in the, just the straight literary section. And then I would go into Books A Million and I would find it in the horror section. And I'd go to another <laughs> store and I'd find it in the sci-fi. And it's like, no, there's no sci-fi in this, guys. Why is it in the sci-fi section? <laughs> so, so it's like I never and, knew I'd be walking all over the place trying to find it, you know, before I would uh, find the right category. But anyway. And is, your, it, it, is your first one Sacred Prey or is that the n- newest one? Is it, no, Sacred Prey is my first one. And, oh, okay. Uh, and Quietus is the second, yeah. And Sacred Prey is very different from uh, my second one. Sacred Prey is uh, it's set in New Orleans. It's a much uh, shorter book. It's about, mm-hmm. I think it's about a third the length of Quietus. Um, and it's uh, it's more of a, it's got a lot of action in it, actually. But it's a, um, I don't know, it was uh, I think Library Journal re- referred to it as Dickensian um, Scrooge type, modern day Scrooge, I think it was. Oh, nice. So, uh, What's it about? Yeah, it's, Just it's about a, it's basically about this uh, New Orleans loan shark who in the opening of the book, um, he he's uh, going through the bayou with his brother in a car chase and he chases down this young couple and he's trying to collect on a debt from them, and everything kind of turns south, and um, the couple ends up dead. And uh, this main character, Adam Claiborne, he's a devout Catholic, and he um, he basically uh, he he goes to church the next day. This really haunts him, and and the, he tries justifying these murders. He's saying, "Well, they're drug addicts. They deserved it. They, you know, it, it, it wasn't my fault," kind of thing. And the priest basically says, you really don't understand what these people have been through, and I'm not going to give you absolution, which um, mm. Catholics 
through penance. I was raised Catholic, um, so if you, like, any Catholic will know, for a priest to say, I'm not going to absolve you, it would be like, what? <laughs> it doesn't happen, <laughs> you know. So anyway, he, so Adam, he goes to bed that night, and he wakes up the next morning, and he's in bed with the woman that he killed, and it's three days back in time, and he's in her husband's body. And so at that point, um, he has to figure out how basically to escape his own, his own self killing himself or, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically it's about prejudice, and it really explores um, this, this very wealthy man's perspective. He actually came from the slums, but he transcended poverty and then he just felt like everybody should be able to transcend poverty. And that's how he, that was his worldview at that point. And suddenly he's seeing everything from this man who he thought was a drug addict and he starts understanding this couple's life. And, um, and so that's what it's about. And the story um, I, when I wrote it, it was before cell phones. So there's no cell phone. Um, So that, and that plays a, a big big factor in it that you didn't have, you know, cell phones change everything in a story. Um, so do. anyhow, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they can tend to take out a lot of suspense, but um, they do. you see some, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, now I need to read this one too. I know. Oh, oh. great. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's one of those that's just been around a long time. It actually started out as a screenplay and um, years ago, and uh, it was very close to production. It's been optioned repeatedly over the years, and it just keeps getting optioned. Optioned, I don't, maybe for your listeners, um, with projects in Hollywood, if you have a, 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 the rights to a property, say a novel or a screenplay, you basically, a, a producer or yourself, will pitch it to the studio or an indie company, and they will buy the right to... Uh, like a window of time to put it together. And during that time, they'll, they'll attach stars or actors or director or whatever, and they try to get the funding, and then they'll shop it around. Um, and so a lot of screenwriters, they actually, um, whether you can actually make a living without something being produced from these options. And Sacred Prey is one of those projects that um, just, I hope it keeps going. I mean, it's been optioned by Warner Brothers twice, um, just most recently for television nice. for them. I mean, it's just a lot of different uh, production companies, um, Ralph Winters. And so I hope it's a story that gets made into film. I think that would be great. Um, oh, I personally, yeah. yeah, I can't go back and spearhead it or write the screenplay. They're like, you want to do the screenplay? I'm like, no, because it changed from the screenplay when I started fleshing it out for the novel. You know, it's, it became a different uh-huh. story in and of itself. But I just, I don't know how you guys are, but once I write something, oh. I'm done with it, you know. Exactly. We, we are actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're actually doing that right now. We were asked to do the first pass of a screenplay on one of our collaborations, and we're doing oh, it. Oh, nice. You know, then it, then oh, it will go excellent. to, a, you know, a screenwriter who will teach us more, but she'll spearhead that. But, oh, boy, is it different. And oh, it is yeah. different, and I yeah. hate every minute of it. It's totally, I'm like, I already did this. We did this. We spent a year yeah. on this. We're done. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. do it anymore. What but we cut? It's a good yeah. opportunity, so you don't say no. <laughs> no. Right, exactly. You know, it's those opportunities are, are 
if if you, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you know, it's like so many projects go into development but don't necessarily get made. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just to exactly. be up to yeah. that and be in development is huge, and it's it's exciting. Exactly. And, and so I, yeah. but I mean, I understand. You know, the thing about see, I started out with screenplays and then moved into novels. Well, screenwriting, as you know. Mm-hmm is an extremely lean form of writing, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know how I would do it to go from a novel to a screenplay. That would just be a mind buster to me. I don't know. You know? It yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Doing your own it's, isn't the best, but it's, how, wanna, how do you um, feel about it? I mean, the, the, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, there's still this lag. I'm sorry. So, just for anybody who's listening, yeah. there's a time lag. I'm not being rude. I, I, I'm. Yes, it's, there's a time lag, and it's very irritating. And I apologize <laughs> for that. But um, one thing I wanted to point out before it gets too far away from me, and I forget about it. And I do. I want to go back to the screenwriting and all the other stuff. But um, yeah, this, this is going to slip my mind if I don't say it. Um, I thought I heard you call it Quietus, the name of the book. And you know, maybe I'm wrong, yes. but I've been calling it Quietus. Since I got it and I've been mm-hmm. reading it, and we just like have. an hour before showtime, Tamara said, "You know what? We're saying it wrong. I found it online, and it's quietus." And I'm like, "Really? <laughs> I've never heard that word. So what is it called?" <laughs> no, yeah. and Tamara's Tamara's correct. It is quietus, or I believe quietus. But mm-hmm. I love quietus, and that's what I've called it from the yeah. beginning. And oh, good. you know. M- you know, that's just what, to me, and it speaks to the whole theme of, of the book, the, mm-hmm. the moment the moment of quieting, the moment of death. And so yeah. to me, quiet right. us just makes more sense. I'm, I'm so glad more, because yeah. quietus made oh, us crack up because it sounds like coitus, and we were acting like 10-year-olds. <laughs> and I'm so glad <laughs> no, it's no, quietus. No, that's <laughs> much better. Yeah. <laughs> You're on one today. Quiet, yeah. Coitus, memories, you need to calm down. <laughs> hey, it's what we wrote today. What can I say? And it was your fault, all that memory business. You thought of it. <laughs> I know, I did. All right, so Quietus. I, 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 that's what quietus. I've always called it, so I'm going to keep calling it. Mm-hmm. So this, Me this too. idea is, this is a very fascinating idea. Um, I, I'm curious to know where and maybe when this idea struck you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it actually, it started, it goes back, um, the seed for it was actually, uh, when I was, um, 18 years old, I was in a, a really bad car accident. Um, uh, I was, uh, returning home from a party and I was in the front seat passenger side and I didn't have a seatbelt on. And the driver was uh, lost control of the car, and we hit a tree going an estimated 65 miles an hour. And wow. um, yeah, it was, uh, it was it, the moral of the story is don't accept a ride home if you don't know if the person's <laughs> got their wits about them. Um, but it was it was a it was a very uh, sobering moment so to speak I mean I was a, a just basically a, a young girl just face to face with my own mortality which you know when you're that age you're invincible um, at least I thought right. I was invincible until that moment and that moment had a, 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 a just a, a deep impact on me um, 
the I I thought we were basically I thought I was going to die. Everybody was unconscious in the car, and I and I was told I was unconscious. Um, there was a, a woman who came out with a flashlight because we had hit her tree, and I felt really bad about that. The tree actually ended up dying, but um, she came out with a flashlight and was shining it inside the car, and um, I I don't remember that. I have no you know memory of that or anything else so they so I was unconscious but yet I never felt like I left consciousness or lost consciousness um and I just felt like I was in a really dark place that I didn't belong Mm. and you know it could have just been intense shock I don't know but I never felt like I lost consciousness so it stayed with me and I you know after that in the hospital and it's I'm sure it's also just going through a trauma like that on your body but I the thing that also really just shook me was I remember I was being wheeled into the ambulance and there was a fireman standing over me and he said, you don't know how lucky you are. He said, if you would have hit that, that just one little tiny bit further to the, to one direction or the other, that engine would have been in your lap and it would have killed you. And as it was, I was completely just enmeshed in the dashboard and they had to get me out of it. Um, so they put me, they took me to the hospital obviously and, and they kept me in there. I don't yeah. remember exactly how many days, but they kept me in there, and they did test after test, and I didn't have a single broken bone. Um, the biggest uh, cut that I had was three stitches. That was it. But I was bruised all over, so they thought, okay, she's got to be, there's got to be some internal bleeding in there, and I didn't have any. But anyhow, so I felt extremely lucky to have survived that accident. And and then a few years later, I lost, um, I, I I lost my parents, as my mother and my father, within a year of each other, and it was very sudden, and they were very young. My mother was 44 and my dad 46, and so um, that just really uh, just changed my life, and, and I became very, you know, when I didn't know where to turn. There wasn't, at that time, you, the Internet was, you know, just a seed of a thought, maybe, I don't know, but... Um, it, uh, I didn't know where to turn, so I started doing research, and I'd been raised Catholic, and I was just, you know, when you're shaken to your core, you start questioning everything, and I did, and I'd mm-hmm. always, I'm always, I've always been a questioner, even when I was a child, and I started exploring other religions and near-death experiences and, um, you know, mythology and just anything and everything about um, that related to death and just the beliefs of, of the world about it and funerary practices and everything, and so it was kind of a long journey. But um, so then a few years later, when I was living in Los Angeles, um, I had done sort of a student film, a super low budget film. And I was, somebody came to me and said, hey, do you want to write and star in this in another film? And I said, oh, I don't know. And I don't know what I would write. And then that's when I came up with the idea with Quietus, which is basically, it's about, you know, when is your time to die and can that can that mm-hmm. can that line be moved um can modern medicine affect that line you know you hear people being resuscitated and mm-hmm. um and then dying not very long after that and so anyhow so that's so that was the seed for it i didn't write the novel so i i did a, a low budget film along those lines and then i wrote a subsequent screenplay after that that uh called Dark Angel that I tried to, or we we actually had it ready to go into production in Canada. And I wasn't going to star in that. I was going to work as a producer on that. And we we're very excited about that. And then it fell through. And that's when I started 
turning it into a novel, and I and I approached the subject with a much more, uh, the, you know, the film that I did was a very low-budget teen film, you know, geared towards uh, mm-hmm. that audience. And I started exploring, and I thought, okay, I'm going to make this character older than I am. So she was in her 30s, 34, I think, 33, 34, and she has this whole life, and she basically – um, she's in a, a, a harrowing plane crash in the White Mountains of New Hampshire with her, her husband and her best friend and, and her husband. And um, she wakes up in the hospital several weeks later, and she just has these really jumbled memories. And she, um, when she's questioned, she, she remembers actually speaking with one of the passengers, even though he had died on impact. So it's kind of quite, it's very much explores like the line between life and death and there's a lot of dreams and memory and the unreliability of memory and um, and just explores a lot of uh, philosophical questions about why we're here and what happens when we die. <laughs> wow, it sounds very close, you know, like a I'm, topic close to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. That, that, that leads me to to wonder. And and I'm I'm notorious for asking personal questions. So if there's anything you don't want to answer, just say yeah. I'm going to pass. But <laughs> but I'm curious. I'm curious uh, from what you learned then, and from your experience in that. Do you think that that line can be moved, or do you think that it, there's a definite set time for death? Um, you know, I I don't know. I have honestly, I don't know. Um. The outcome of it is I came to peace with a lot of issues that I had towards death just through the main character, Kylie. Um, and as far as I just, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm sorry. That's just, I, can't, I don't know. No, not knowing <laughs> no, is my favorite know thing, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. we like it's, not it's knowing. Just, it's always interesting <laughs> to hear other people's ideas and things like that because I don't, I don't know either. All right, so so Kylie, she was a very dynamic character, and you said that mm-hmm. you came to a lot of uh, terms with a lot of things through her. Would you then say that uh, Kylie is a, a lot like you? Um, n- no, not not in particular. Um, She's she's actually she's actually in a lot of ways very different. I mean, she she starts out with the same sort of. I mean, it's, hers is very it's it's different. She um, the concept is the same, and what her character goes through, she asks a lot of questions that I would have maybe liked to have asked. I mean, she does a lot mm-hmm. of. Uh, it takes her on a journey through all kinds of uh, mythology and. Um, you know, and she faces some loss in the book, and um, and so in that respect, yes, uh, I was able to live through her. But Kylie is such a strong character in my mind, and she's the way I see her. She's nothing like me. I mean, even physically, I mean, we both share red hair, but but even her mm-hmm. hair is different than mine. It's very dark, and and the reason she became a redhead was through my research, I was researching in Boston and just trying to get a, my, my grip on her. And um, it was through, you know, the, through her father, as her father came to life with me, he's this uh, fisherman up in Swampscott, a lobsterman, and um, this Irish, you know, and I, Irish fisherman and just meeting him, so to speak, in my mind and, and, uh, and understanding him and Kylie really started to come into focus and, 
I just see her as this very strong character, um, but yet sort of enigmatic. You know, she's she's she walks her own path. She's very much a loner. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a loner, but Kylie, in her own way, is sort of a loner. Um, and she certainly has her own past and her own issues that are very different from anything within my life. But you know how it is with writing you you see you see uh, nuances of of your life. There's no way around it. I mean, a writer can mm-hmm. only write from from your perspective, from whatever you've seen or experienced or whatever. So, and it's it's interesting yeah. because just revisiting this this material recently i've i've seen things that i didn't see before and it's like oh yeah that's that's you know i caught a glimpse of my mother and 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 her mother and you know that sort of thing um which i know you guys have probably experienced yourself a lot you can't you can't get around sure. that and and that can that can be very cathartic in and of itself though you know it's like i I lost my parents, but I felt like I had, you know, through through that, it was like, okay. And I also felt that, you know, when I was done with the book, I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys grieve your characters, but I really grieve these characters. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, it's a good sign. And it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. All right, um, well, let me take a minute and just, uh, I'm going to uh, just remind everybody that you're listening to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live, where your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com or if you tweet, our handles are at Tamara Thorne or at Cross Alistair. Uh, you can also visit us on face- Facebook on our Haunted Nights Live page. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. And remember, if you want a free ebook copy of our latest novel, Darling Girls, just get two of your friends to sign up and email the information to our publicist at contact at bamliterature.com. Um, Vivian, I would love to hear, if you would like to, and you can pass, but I, I would love to hear um, uh, a reading from, from Quietus. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course, I would love to. Um I actually thought about this because I thought you were probably going to ask that. And I have a reading from, it's part of the way through the book, but in doing research for Quietus, um, I, I, I got misdirected. I was looking for the Charlestown prison, and I was, I was misdirected to the Charles Street Jail. And when I got there, um, I, uh, I, I, I went into this prison and – I mean, this jail, and it was quite an experience. And so I, I'll read a little bit of this to you and then um, tell you what happened to this jail afterwards. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds um, good. All right. Um, on the back side of the prison, there was an alcove of two more medieval-style port. I'm sorry. I'm actually reading this part of the way through the chapter and part of the way through the section. So a little bit of lead-up <laughs> is Kylie. <laughs> okay, Kylie is coming she she basically comes to this 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 uh, jail and in my novel I made it a prison because that's what I was looking for, but um, she comes to this jail and um, and it's abandoned. So there's nobody there, so she goes around to the backside. So here's here's I'm picking it up from that. On the backside of the prison, there was an alcove of two more medieval style portals with tiny unpaned windows. Pigeons that had gathered at the opening scattered with her approach. 
As she peered inside, she was startled to see the main section of the penitentiary where the prisoners were once housed. My God, she whispered, taken aback by its massiveness. Endless stacks of cells towered upward while the murky daylight from the immense windows streaked through the myriad of steel bars. The sound of fluttering wings, ghostly shadows, and movement gave the effect of a giant, surreal birdcage. At once, fear crept inside of her, and she started to turn away, but her eye was caught by the far corner where the edge of a dim fluorescent light glowed from within. Hello? She called uncertainly, her hand gripping the door tightly. After a long moment, she gave it a tug, but it was locked. She pulled at the one next to it, and the rusted padlock simply fell away. She hesitated, her heart thundering. She looked behind her at the empty yard and then again toward the light. The last place she wanted to venture into was an abandoned prison. But if the light, which was so far inward, signified the guard's presence, he couldn't possibly hear her from where she stood. Slowly squeezing through the door, she was amazed at the ease of her entry to a place where desperate rapists and murders had been sequestered. Once inside, she nervously pulled her sweater close to her body and continued forward, gaping at the secretive world within. Razors, cigarette butts, and a man's shoe lay in the debris while the series of obscenities had been etched into the cement wall. High-pitched whistles heaved in and out of the leaky portals, swirling between the walls in mournful wails. In spite of the physical departure of its tenants, the forsaken dungeon seemed to live and breathe with the broken spirits that had found no other home. As though trapped in an enormous Pandora's box, the evil was palpable. Peering into one of the cells that had been eerily left open, Kylie shivered from its barbarity. A mere five-foot-by-seven-foot space was allotted for two swaying bunks, a tiny sink, and an open drain for bodily functions. She suddenly imagined her stalker standing in the shadowy cell, his sad gray eyes staring out at her, and the terror she held for him was eclipsed by pity. She envisioned his lo- She envisioned his life in such cruel, humiliating quarters, and she suddenly felt guilty, as if she were somehow responsible for his demise. But how could she be? Even if Vanderpool were the right man, how could she possibly be responsible for his ruin? If he had committed murder, as the detective said, wouldn't he be deserving of the punishment? Yet when she pictured the man who had kissed her so tenderly, her heart faltered. Never before had she experienced such conflicting feelings for the same person. Never before had she swung so rapidly between loathing and affection. As she turned away from the cell, two rats scurried across the floor at her toes, and she stopped. Again, she assessed the distance to the light. Is anybody there? She called sharply, her voice cutting into the musty air. A pigeon suddenly took flight and fluttered up to the floor of cells five stories above her. As she followed its ascent, her eyes were caught by a huge raven perched on the upper tiers of the prison. It was silently staring down at her with its eyes and its head cocked. Staring into the knowing eyes, she felt her entire body shudder. At once, she regretted having come to this grim place of persecution. She wanted nothing more than to turn back toward the door. Suddenly, she felt the presence of someone behind her, the air moving with a breath other than her own. Um, Okay, that's the end. But um, Beautiful. Yeah, so thank you. So the... This this is that was my experience in this prison. Basically, it's it's a guard behind her, um, but it was my experience coming onto this prison that was completely abandoned. I'm sorry, I keep saying prison. It's a jail in real life, mm-hmm. but that jail. Um, so my my good friend had read the book, and you know I wrote this some time ago, and she called me, and um, one time she was going to Boston, and she said, 
you know, is it possible that that I am standing in this jail? I'm in my hotel, and this looks like this. She went into that atrium that's like this massive 90-foot-high atrium, hmm. and they basically converted that Charles Street jail into the Liberty Hotel, and it's right smack dab in the middle of of Boston, right on the edge wow. of Beacon Hill. Yeah, it's uh-huh. pretty incredible. I mean, just to stumble upon this this jail just uh, by a misdirection, and it was very creepy and scary and and just fun and exciting <laughs> to have found it. <laughs> and then to, to go, and the, the padlock really fell off, and I kind of edged in and went in there, and eventually that light, the guard, you know, came around and found me. But... Um, so yeah, you, uh, research. I just I I love doing location research, and I think you can get so much from it as a writer. It can really feed where a story goes and and add dimension and um, yeah, absolutely. Has Boston, yeah, it's it's, 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 Boston it's a character show. in itself. You know, oh, absolutely. it is, and, ha- and has yeah. and has Boston changed a lot since you first wrote the book? It has, it has. I visited there last year and. Um, I would say a couple of locations, like the North End, um, has become a lot more crowded than I remember it. Um, I mean, most of it is the same, like Beacon Hill, the really thin kind of iconic streets that you see um, for mm-hmm. Boston. Those are still just beautiful and the same. Um, but the, something that made me very sad was I went up to Swampscott, where her father uh, was a fisherman, and um, it, it, when I wrote the book, it was this beautiful coastline with these little tiny fisherman houses that were very colorful and just 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 lovely, um, uh, like clapboard style um, houses mm-hmm. and cottages, literally cottages. Oh, nice. I think there was like a tavern or something, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's it's all been cleared away, and it's. It's, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, it's, uh, it's completely different. All of those are gone, which to me, that was just like the heart of the character of it, you know. It's, mm. And Sean McCallum was so much that Irish, you know, lobsterman, what you would expect, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there's obviously a lot of different types of, of lobstermen, but um, <laughs> so on this coastline, <laughs> on this coastline are these big mansions and it's this very wealthy area where before it felt very much like a working man's um, paradise, so to speak. You know that uh-huh. that this is this is where he worked. You know, and this was his his yeah. life's blood. And um, so I didn't have that feel. So that was kind of sad to see that. But other than that, yeah. you know, Boston is as beautiful as ever. And I did go into that hotel, and it creeped me out so bad. I just couldn't believe. Oh, really? It. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I mean, they spent an absolute fortune. I think it was like, oh my gosh, it was, it was. I, I I'm not even going to guess how much it was. It was. It, I think it was like 150 million, if I'm not mistaken. And I know that wow. it's, uh, I looked it up, and it took five years for them to renovate it. And that whole back part of the prison or the jail that I approached, it just they somehow just completely changed it. It was just gone, and it was just so wow. weird to walk in that place you know, through these sliding glass doors after wedging through these old rotted boards and, you know, mm-hmm. it was, and it was just wild right. to find this completely abandoned in the middle of the city and that the, the jail had a, a kind of a dark past. It was actually shut down at one point because of human rights violations and it just seemed like, what is mm-hmm. this doing in the middle of the city? So I'm not surprised somebody did something with it. 
and they did yeah. they did uh, protect the historic aspects, so that's pretty cool. But if you're in Boston and you go to the Liberty Hotel, it's pretty amazing what they've done. It's beautiful, actually, that they kept that atrium. Um, oh, nice. Very nice. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm I mm-hmm. I. You have a very interesting kind of backstory, and you, you, your path to writing is quite, you know, d- different than, than than a lot of people's. But one thing that I find really interesting is, well, uh, you were an actress for for many years, and you you still do a little bit of that. And we've had actors on before, and um, I've, I think there's even books about it. Um, how acting and writing are similar. And we were talking a little bit about the show, and uh, I realized, I'm like, no, because acting sounds very scary to me. I think it it, it would be very hard. (laughs) But I started thinking about it, and I'm like, it's the performance that I don't, that I I can't do. But, you know, when you're writing, you do totally slip into character. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, acting versus writing. How is it similar, and do you think that acting... Um, made you a better writer and a better character writer? Um, uh, yes, I would say absolutely. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. You, As a writer, you do step into the, the shoes of your character. You have to or you can't speak from truth. You can't, if you're, if you're not completely immersed in each and every one of your characters, you're, 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 not, you're not really bringing them to life, in, in my opinion. I don't, I don't see how you could, you know. Um, right. And it's it, and and that that is very much like acting, you know. You, except with acting, you're only approaching one perspective, um, whereas in writing, you 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 see the big picture. And as an actor, it's you have to you have to immerse yourself just into that point of view of that one character. I mean, you 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 need to understand the theme of the piece. You need to understand what your what your character arc is and how your character fits into that story. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of actually performing, you have to put all that aside because you don't think about all those things as you go about your day. You know, they can seep in mm-hmm. and they can come right. into your thoughts. But you really have to have just your one, a very myopic vision. And, and I, you know, I, I grew up, even as a child, I would write and then uh, my my best friend and I, we would put on plays for my, my parents and her parents, and they were very, you know, kind about that. <laughs> they would uh, <laughs> sit, through our, sit through our productions. and But I always, I always enjoyed both. And, um, but as soon as – and I, I studied at Strasbourg, and, and I took the craft of acting very seriously. And it was – when I, I also studied with Stella Adler for a short while over a summer uh-huh. and she, she's from very old school and she really, I learned so much about writing from her. And I think that's where I really started thinking, I really would like to write screenplays um, because she was talking about you, you, she was concentrating on all of the characters and, um, and saying that you have to, you know, the background and how to do research on the character and really how to, delve deep into their lives and do bios and um and I think writing in and of itself you're very much like because so much of my psyche is is rooted in film um I love literature and I've always loved writing and I read a lot but in my early years when I was first starting to articulate into narratives doing narratives 
it was from the perspective of film. And so it's kind of interesting to me that I'm now seeing all of this stuff online about think of your, think of your, your story as a film and, and, um, right. you know, you're, a, the writer is literally directing all of those different characters. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it has helped me and I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an, it's an unusual path, but I'm, I'm happy to have had it. It is. It so, is. It's, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. And I, I, one more, one more um, acting question. And, and, and uh, I just want to, this is, I'm going to tell you my, my perception of, of acting and you tell me how accurate it is. I picture it just kind of <laughs> a lot of um, just waiting, you know, waiting and now, oh, perform. Oh. And, you know, and then, yeah, yeah. and then perform and then wait. Is that right? Yeah, especially film. Um, film, for sure. I mean, on the theater, theater is a little different. You know, you're, it's 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 all it's all condensed. But on film, you can wait. Oh my gosh, you can wait for twelve hours before it's even time to do your scene. It just uh. you know you have there are so many other factors. Um, there's so many things. There's the lighting. There's you know, just so right, much else right. that goes on, and you come in. Pretty much at the end. I mean, you you go out. They set the lights after you do a walkthrough, and but that can take hours and hours and hours. And if they and they've also got other actors' schedules to contend with, and and the light, you know, is the sun up, the sun down? Is our lights the same? And right. So it's uh-huh. right. <laughs> yeah. And it's very. I mean, film yeah, is I very would exciting. Would be... Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. I think a lot yeah. of people see it and go, "Oh, I want to be, I want to be an actor." And people dream about that a lot. And I think, and, you know, I I guess when I was younger, maybe I thought it seemed okay because, hey, look, I'm on TV. But as you get older, you're like, but but the process, (laughs) that's so horrible. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I did, I did enjoy it for a while. And and, um, I don't, I can't say I'm completely done with it, but it's just not where I just don't even think about it anymore. I've just loved being, I love being on the other side of the camera. I like looking at the whole picture when it comes to film. And so in that sense, I'm more of a novelist, you know, I think at this point and just wanting, I want the whole, I want everybody's perspective. I don't want to just have one, you know? Yeah. So. Right. I think we're, as a writer, I think we're very lucky to be able to to live all those different lives and look at their perspective and stretch our minds. You know, mm-hmm. you know exactly. I, yeah. I, yeah, I have to say something I about you guys collaborating. I think that's just incredible, uh, especially on a screenplay in your first uh, screenplay. That's great. <laughs> yeah. We didn't intend to. And you know, we don't even fight. Yeah. No, we that's don't. amazing. No. We don't. We I, don't. Every. I don't think anybody really believes us when we say that, but it's true. No. We've never. We've been doing this for about four years now. We are literally mm-hmm. together all day. We we're in the cloud. We we're writing over each other. We're writing after the other one. We're we're on yeah. Skype while we're doing this, and never so much as a raised voice. Never. It's amazing. No. I know, right? It's <laughs> this wow. is not normal. I think wow. it's because we both hate drama so much. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, all night yeah. it's texting, it's usually brainstorming. They're playing word games. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, that's yeah, My yeah. long-lost no, brother I never had. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's yeah, so cool, though. I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's, I think it's, it's great. And I, I, I can't imagine trying, 
You guys have written novels together, though, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah we've done some novels, yeah, and we several also novels. help each other with our solo our novels, solo. and we, we're very involved. Yeah, well, we see, are. I we're writing that... two novels right now, so... Oh, wow, wow. I see, I don't know how somebody would collaborate. I can see collaborating on a screenplay. I actually collaborated on a, a, an adaptation of Rumpelstiltskin with a very good writer. And uh-huh. we had some screaming matches. <laughs> we definitely yeah. did. Oh, yeah. But, um, but, but we're, I mean, we're dear friends, though, at this point. And, yeah. And I would certainly work with him again. But, yeah, but I, the thing with screenwriting, it's such a lean form that, if you disagree, right. the scene can be completely. But but a novel, yeah. one one word leads to the next, and you know a chapter. It's like how do you? I would mm. have a difficult time. I can't imagine that. So, yeah, uh-huh. that's amazing. Neither, you guys can do that. Neither of us ever intended to, because we'd had some ex- bad experience, and just it was within weeks of meeting. I suddenly said, "Hey, you want to try a collaboration?" <laughs> what have I done? But it was perfect. Oh, that's a, that's wonderful. Yeah, wow. It's just yeah. one of those things that the way we think of it, it's just kind of meant to be, I guess, because there's really no mm-hmm. other explanation because I don't, I'm no. not that much of a people person, you know. I, Me neither. <laughs> okay, that's enough of you, <laughs> yeah. you know. You're involved in a lot of things, and I, one of the things that I think um, is important and that I would like to, to talk about a little bit with you is this um, Bonobos Back to the Wild. This is um, yeah. something that, that you told us was very close to your heart, and I can I can see why. So do you want to talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit? Tell us what it is and, and, and you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, yeah, Bonobos Back to the Wild, it's, it's a it's a docudrama and it follows um, the rescue of which is was a true life rescue of a bonobo by Claudine Andre, who is um, basically the Jane Goodall of bonobos and she's world renowned for um, single not completely single handedly but she has certainly made a huge contribution to saving bonobos which a lot of people I was kind of surprised when I started working on the film. They're not aware of the bonobos. Um, they're more aware of the, the chimpanzees. And But bonobos, they, they share, they're actually, some scientists believe they're the closest to human genetic makeup. And they're oh. just very loving. Um, they're a very loving species. And um, whereas you have chimpanzees that will actually um, wage war, bonobos actually are very peaceful they they were they split off from the chimpanzees by the river in the Congo and so they developed differently and one of them became very peaceful so the bonobos they're a lovely lovely species and Claudine Andre uh, founded this um, sanctuary in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo and she um, she rescues these babies and she gives them human mothers um, that the local, it's, it's a conservation and species saving sanctuary. And so that's what the film is about. And it follows this little Benny who she rescues um, from the poachers. They go in and they kill the mothers and then the babies are left behind and they're sold into the markets and, and a lot of them die and, and she goes around and she rescues them and, and takes them there. So, and so the wow. film, uh, yeah, a, par- a part of the proceeds go to the sanctuary, and 
it helps to to keep them going. <laughs> so uh, um, that's very very cool. I yeah. I think it's great that you're doing that and that you did that. That's fantastic. And you know, I wish you the best of luck with that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So. Well, wow. All right. Um, we let's yeah. see. I I am. Let's see. Uh, when you you said that you didn't you uh, kind of came across writing um, when you were a little bit a little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. When when did you really know? Uh, was there a moment when you just said, you know, this is what it is? I think you said that you were you were doing screenwriting and stuff. And how did that evolve into novels? Um, well, it just with the with my first one that I that it Sacred Prey where it got so close to production and I could see the whole film. And the thing with film is you a screenplay is just a roadmap, and it's mm-hmm. it's not. I felt the need that I wanted to get my story out there, so I novelized it. And um, it, it just kind of, it's it, it, pretty much at that point, I thought, okay, I love this. This is this is where I want to be. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I've, I've been writing my whole life. It was just different mediums, and and I really enjoyed uh, novels. And I still, you know, I, I've adapted a couple of scripts in recent years, and, and that's its own new fun challenge, but... My heart is definitely with with novels, and um, so so that's kind of what led into it. I just thought, okay, you know, I, I had a party at my house, and there was a a, a a guest there who I didn't know her very well, and she had just finished a romance novel, and I had no idea that she had any interest in writing. And I was like, oh my gosh, you you completed the book, and she says, yeah, but I can't get a publisher. And she was so down on herself. And this was before a lot of, I mean, this whole revolution, digital revolution and and self-publishing is so easier, a lot easier now. I mean, back then it was very rare that people Uh self-published. And she, she was very down on herself. And I just, and I just said, that's just incredible because it's to write a book from beginning to end is a feat in and of itself. And whether or not it gets published, of course you want it to get published, but it's still, that's a life accomplishment in my opinion. And so that was, I found it, I was very inspired by that. And so that's when I, I um, started thinking, wait, maybe I can do that. And maybe I can, and so that's, that's how I went into it. Um, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And yeah, it's, I mean, what, what you, you've talked a lot about how uh, lean uh, screenwriting is. And one thing mm-hmm. I noticed in, in Quietus, just your, your writing style is very, um, uh, okay. Vivid and 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 yeah, yes, yes. And so, is it? Do you think that 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 might be part of the reason why uh, you prefer books to screenplays? Is because you get to be a lot more um, uh, descriptive, exploring, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I also, I also was just. I, I remember when I sat down to write Sacred Prey. It was like, oh my gosh, I can actually go into this guy's head. You know, you can't do that yeah. <laughs> in film. Everything is, it's just what you can see and hear. And then you also have this sense of smell and taste and and mm-hmm. and you can put back history in their minds. And there's just so much you can do that, that's very difficult on film. And so yeah. it's like a whole world opened up. There's There are zero limits in in. Um, writing a novel, you can you can do anything. You don't have to worry about you know sunlight. You don't have to worry about anything. You just yeah. you you create this world. 
So, in fact, we yeah, don't like yeah. the sunlight. We prefer to do it in the dark. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I am there. I am there with you guys. I'm an absolute. My friend told me a vampire. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 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 Have you have you developed a have you developed a vitamin D deficiency yet? I found out uh, a few months ago. I have a severe vitamin D deficiency, and I thought, hey, I'm a uh, writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that would seem to go hand in hand, but I actually am a redhead, so it's like I go into the doctor, and they're like, why? You, you, I mean, because I'm so pale, they just expected me, yeah. like my general practitioner yeah. expected me to have, but he's like, why is your vitamin yeah. D good? I don't understand this, but redheads apparently absorb it much easier, we don't seriously. Much. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, three minutes and the freckles will start, so I never go out in the sun either. But Alistair, yeah. has it. we now have an extra break while he goes and gets sun every day. It's great. I do. I oh, really? sit outside oh, for just oh, like five okay. minutes a day because I it was so low. That it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. And it explained so much because oh. it was really horrible symptoms. Mm. And yeah, don't do it. It's horrible. It's a lot worse yeah. than it sounds. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. anyway, <laughs> anyway. But what, so uh, did it help? Uh, I know. I'm, what's that? Did it help? Did you just sitting out in the sun for five minutes? I mean, is it doing the trick? Uh, it it does. It really does. They put me on. They put me on uh, fifty thousand IU's <laughs> of vitamin D a week. You only take it once a week, but oh, it's like wow. a blast of vitamin D. And I did that for like three months, and I didn't notice anything. And I was supposed to go back and get checked, and I didn't. And I just thought, I'm just going to go sit outside for a few minutes every day. And it took about six months, yeah. but it has slowly mm-hmm. started to work. <laughs> He's happy wow. and sunny again. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, he got um, tired for a while. I, yeah. I did. I did. I know. I know. I'm bouncing yeah. around a lot, but um, I, there's so much. There, God, you've done so much. It's Almost just out incredible. Of time. There's uh-huh. so much to talk about. We we absolutely have to have you back. But um, oh yes, uh, toys in the attic. What is what is toys in the attic? And and this was voice work that you did, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Toys in the attic. It's a it's a Yerji Barda film. It's Czech animation, stop motion animation, which is um, oh. it's, it's a yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty cool film. It's it's dark and it's very different. But if you if you're into Czech animation and especially stop motion animation, uh, it's 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 a pretty cool film. But I did the English adaptation of it, and the way that came about is um, Daniel is here, the uh, the French distributor of it. He's wanted me to. He had wanted me to do a film with him for years. And I'm like Danielle, I I really my French is not very good. It's barely there and. Um, mm-hmm. So I never did a film with him, and then he sent me a script, and he says, "I want you to do a voice, the voice of Buttercup in this, the lead." And I looked at it, and it was it was uh, it done done in, in the Czech Republic, and it just was not really a script. And I'm like, "You cannot, you're not going to get American actors with a script." And so he asked me to adapt the script. <laughs> So I adapted the script, and then the next thing you know, I was producing and directing and, and wow. doing everything on it. And it was a tremendous amount of fun and just, you know, working with them on that. And, but it's basically these, these toys in an attic, and it takes place during the Cold Era, during communist rule. And it's uh, this, this between the, the East and the West and this, this whole fictional place in this attic. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. And, and um, anyhow. Sounds yeah. great. Very cool. 
Now I have one more question for you, um, but, and then I want to talk a little bit about what you're what you've got coming up. But um, I was just thinking because you know you have done so much. You've you've you you know acting, voice work, screenplays, uh, producing, directing, uh, novels. This is incredible. Who are some of the most amazing people you've ever met? Oh my! Um, just in general, I would say. Um, the very first person that comes to mind is Amnon Meskin. He was my acting teacher at Strasbourg, one of them. And he, he, he's passed away now, but he ended up being a lifetime friend. And his father came from the Russian theater and uh, Stan, studied under Stanislavski, and, um, who, to an actor that's, that's a method actor, especially, yeah. that's very meaningful. Um, but he was just this amazing man from Israel, and he ran the Israeli theater down there for, um, I say down there, <laughs> down south, <laughs> over there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's the first one. He just had this amazing love of life, and he he was dancing clear up until the time that he passed away, and just, just love of family, just bigger than life, man. Um, I think in recent times, um, I, my heart is just really felt really good about Luke Evans and Rebecca Hall. They both came in and did the voices on um, on Bonobos, Back to the Wild for me, and they they were just. I mean, they they both have really big things going on, and they set them aside. And Rebecca Hall, she was I I was in the studio in New York, and I actually missed. A, a section of the, it's a long story, but the, the huh. I missed a section of the dialogue. And so I had to call her back in and I couldn't <laughs> get her because she was already off on the Spielberg film. And so I had to do a Skype session to record her between LA and Savannah. And she, she yeah. and she oh, did well. this on her day <laughs> off. I mean, just really big, big, big hearted, just kind actors, um, those come to mind. I have to say Evil Knievel. I met Evil Knievel, and I oh. actually kind of knew him oh, really? for a while. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. That was, that was like kind of really out there. But when I was a, a very young little girl, I had a crush on the neighborhood boy. He was a teenager, and I was a little girl. And I, I, would, I would ride on my bike and try to do – I don't know if you guys are at all familiar with Evil Knievel, but he would have this thing where he would yeah. get on his motorcycle and go low to the ground. And I did that uh-huh. one summer yeah. so much to try to impress oh, this little boy. But <laughs> anyway, I had a, I had a, oh, great, a great story for an entire summer. Oh. So, yeah, that was, he was a very interesting man, for sure. Anyway. Wow. Um, nice, nice. Now, um, what can you tell us, if anything, about what you're working on next? It says that you are working on your third novel. What can you tell us about it, if anything? It's. You know, I can tell you about my research. It's a period piece, which I've never done before. And if you, I don't know if you guys have done any historical pieces, but it's, have you done a any little? Either? A little, a little yeah, bit. It's different. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, very slower. hard. But I have to say, it's been it's been an incredible. I'm I spent a lot of time over in the UK. Um, and it deals with a lot of the the uh, culture and mythology in Wales and Ireland, and oh. and a period piece. Yeah, so it's a whole new arena, and it's it's uh it's been a lot of fun. The research oh, in itself has just been a blast. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, when you get it done, I'm gonna, we're going to keep our eye on you, and when you get it done, mm-hmm. we're going to ask you to come back, so I hope you will. I would love that. It's a long that. time thank you to come back before. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you're, you're you. I would love to come you're back. You're a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. you guys are too. Um, you, right. I love you. Oh, thanks. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. Before we let you go, though, could you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and what you do? Uh, my website, VivianShilling.com, or Facebook. I tend to. I, I I didn't think I would like Facebook. But I actually love it. I've got a professional page there, and and it's kind of fun to connect with readers there as well. So. Oh, great. All right. All yeah. right. Thank you. Well, thank you thank again you. for being on. You were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with you. And yeah, you are. you're definitely welcome back anytime. So, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank right. you. And good luck. I, I look forward oh, thank to, you. to, yeah, that's very exciting. Good luck with, <laughs> with everything. <laughs> oh, you too. All right. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. This is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. Um, And until next week, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.